Auckland has just a year left to morph itself into the super-hyped super city that's promised to do everything from save the economy to cut traffic jams. But some say the government is moving too fast and that there's not enough time to do the job well. No one yet knows what it will mean for rates bills, and there are fears Aucklanders are just guinea pigs in a hasty experiment. Rowan Quinn reports. The government wants a super city super fast. It's wasted no time in taking 18 months of work by three independent royal commissioners and turning it on its ear. It took less than two weeks to scrap key components of the commission's report and add its own. And the pace continues. By November next year, one of the biggest public service shake-ups in the country's history has to be ready. The man charged with making most of that happen is Mark Ford, the executive chair chairman of the Auckland Transition Agency. Oh, a lot of things keep me awake at night, but no one. It, it is a large project, has to be delivered on time. There is no flexibility on day one. You can't leave something out. We have to deliver, and we will. It's hard to imagine just how much work has to be done. Auckland City alone is the second biggest city in Australasia and there are seven more councils to merge with that. That means everything from one chief executive to one customer services team to one ticketing system for illegal parkers. Mark Ford describes the transition agency as a project manager and says the way to get through even the biggest of projects is to break it down into manageable parts. We'll make it on time. I guess the one thing is there is no flexibility on November the 1st next year. We have to deliver, and we will. But the pace of that change is worrying some. How can nearly 7,000 staff, billions of dollars worth of assets, hundreds of bylaws, not to mention intangible items like culture and morale, be merged in such a short time? Andy Asquith has become an expert on Auckland governance since making the move from English local bodies to becoming a senior lecturer in public management at Massey University. He's been part of the One Auckland Trust, a firm super city advocate, but he now has major questions about what the government's delivered. The timetable is too short. At some stage, someone has got to realise that getting everything in place for the next local body elections isn't going to work. There's got to be a rollback of at least a year. Grant Hewison from the law firm Kensington Swan is an expert on local government policy and has worked in councils. He too thinks the time frame's asking too much. He says the transition agency has an extremely complex task on its hands with many different components. Human resources systems, staff across these different organisations on um, different arrangements, bringing together the staff and the cultures of what are quite different organisations. Monaco City Council uh, has its own community. Um, Franklin has its own community. Waitakere, Auckland, they're different organisations. Bringing those together into one single organisation, I think, is going to be a huge exercise. Uh, Things like the IT systems, um, the other internal processes, these things, I think, will pose significant challenges in, in terms of bringing them through within the required time frame. Dr Hewison says the agency and the government may find they have to adjust their timetable and prioritise. But the transition agency's Mark Ford says they already are. He says the priority is to keep services running, so Aucklanders barely notice a difference. They'll still have their rubbish picked up and they'll still be able to phone the council and check their rates bill. 
The tricky job of merging eight councils' IT services is a good example of that prioritisation in action. Mr Ford says every council has a unique system, and that's the way most of it will stay for now. What we've got to do on day one is provide a seamless service for the ratepayers. That means we've got to have consolidated accounts, we've got to have a website, we've got to have telephony, issues like that. A lot of the IT doesn't have to be consolidated for day one operations. In reality, the super city will only be partly built by the time the first mayor and council are elected. Aucklanders voting in that first election will be choosing the council that will help shape the rest of it. The transition agency will write a budget for the first eight months based on information from the current local authorities. Then the new council will take over. Auckland City Mayor, former local government minister and wannabe Super City Mayor John Banks concedes it's an uncertain time for ratepayers. You would be quite nervous that this could mean higher rates for you at a time when no one has any spare cash. Apart from predictably urging people to vote for him, there's little Mr Banks can do to give the ratepayers reassurance. There are hugely diverse rates across the region and there are water bills on top of that. The biggest difference is between Papakura and the North Shore, with the average Papakura household paying about $1,000 less a year than those on the shore. So how will that work when everyone's paying one bill? Massey University academic Andy Asquith says Aucklanders will just have to wait and see. Undoubtedly there will be winners and losers but for someone to sit here now and to speculate what's going to happen I think is nothing other than pure fantasy because we don't know until we know what the structure is going to be like, what savings can be pulled out of the structure because there will be synergies there. uh, It is nothing more than pure speculation and anyone who claims to have knowledge on this is nothing more than than a fantasist. And Aucklanders will have to bide their time. There won't be a combined rates bill until at least the second year of the super city. It's not just ratepayers facing an uncertain future. From rubbish collectors to office staff, those working for the councils are wondering what the change means for them. It's inevitable that some will lose their jobs, but just how many's up for debate. John Banks has speculated as many as 40% of staff could go. The Public Service Association's National Secretary, Richard Wagstaff, scoffs at the number. That's ridiculous. Uh, If that came to pass, you would see a dramatic loss in services to the public of Auckland, and and I don't believe that the transition agency either has the authority to make those kinds of cuts, nor do I think they're planning to. The transition agency's Mark Ford is reluctant to shed much more light on the matter, saying he's still to get to grips with it himself. It's too early to say. Um, When you're merging eight councils into one, The most obvious component of that is there's only one chief executive, so whether those other chief executives will apply for other positions, I don't know. But in the totality of it, it's too early to say we're going to start consultation with staff on the organisational design within a, a month or so and come back and talk to me early next year, have a better idea. 
It's that uncertainty that the PSA, the union which represents about 2,500 council workers, says is unnerving its members. Richard Wagstaff says it has a good relationship with the transition agency, which includes the former union leader Lila Hare at the head of its employment division, but it wants more answers. He says it's not the job of the agency to slash staff. That's something that voters should have a say on through who they decide to elect. If the new Auckland Council makes a decision to reduce services, then then let them campaign on that and, and, and make those decisions. But at the moment, we should simply be talking about transferring the existing councils into a new one, maintaining the existing services, and in doing so, maintaining the vast majority of the existing staff. Yvonne Bon, Bella War and Joss Fryer are council workers and PSA delegates. Mr Fryer and Ms Bon say the stress of the move is being felt at the grassroots level. Not only do we not know where we're going to fit into the structure, we don't know whether there'll be redundancies, how many redundancies there will be, which areas of council those redundancies may come from. People really have no idea uh, about where they are going to fit in under the new structure, if they're going to be in the same jobs or moving to different positions. basically a great deal of anxiety due to that uncertainty. And Ms War says there's already more pressure going on staff as those uncertain about their future resign and are not replaced. Workload is definitely increasing for a lot of people around the council. Yeah, um, And not only with their regular duties because some people may be leaving so they're now taking over a portion of someone else's role but um, there's the extra work that um, a lot of people have been asked to do in terms of um, providing information to the ACA. The union wants council staff to have their jobs guaranteed for the next three years, as has happened in some overseas mergers. But support for that looks unlikely, according to the transition agency's Mark Ford. They have to uh, advocate for their members. No issue, but is it very realistic today having uh, guarantees of three years uh, job certainty? I'm not sure that's totally realistic. Their basic premise is right, though. A lot of but I'm not sure how many. That's what I want to emphasise. A lot of jobs are constant and, and they will transfer across, but I don't know how many. Staff aside, there's no doubt the new council's going to make Auckland work very differently, and not everyone's convinced Aucklanders will see the benefit. The government took the red pen to the Royal Commission's report, crossing out plans for six smaller councils to look after local needs and introducing instead 20 to 30 local boards. Local government academic Andy Asquith is baffled. To use a technical phrase, it's a complete dog breakfast. It's a chance in a lifetime to do something and make Auckland a truly great city in terms of its governance structures, and it's been fudged. Legal expert Grant Hewison's also worried. He asks where the grand plan for a unified council and a vision across the region has gone. The local boards also have the power to ask for particular bylaws to be applied um, in their particular area. So we could, for example, have uh, different bylaws for dog control that are different, 20 to 30 different dog control bylaws across the region. There might be 20 to 30 different traffic-related bylaws um, and other bylaws relating to social and community uh, development. So there is a bit of a concern that really when we're looking for a lot more consistency, a lot more regional leadership in the region, uh, we've created a scenario that could end up with these local boards having quite a lot to do, quite a lot to say and distract the uh, regional level of government away from its job of really uniting one city. 
It's a busy afternoon at the Papatoetoe Centennial Pool. It usually is since the Monaco City Council made admission to all public swimming pools free. It's policies like this that locals fear will go when the super city arrives. It's a bit of a worry because we're going to spend some money to pay for it. We may hardly come to the pool if that's the case. I come here because it's free. I tried to go to Henderson uh, Swimming Pool. And it costs $14 for myself and my daughter. I'm not saying we're different people. I just know we live differently. These are the good things that happen out this way. You know, a lot of things are for free. We're in procession. You don't have to pay. You know, something free that you can take the kids to. And the kids love it. Well, I don't quite understand what the, what changes will take place. But if it uh, includes taking away the freedom of uh, swimming for free, I don't think it's a good thing because a lot of families here uh, have a very low income. Monaco City's Mayor and John Banks' rival for the Super City job, Len Brown, says this is where the local boards could have an important role. It could be that the boards in the South Auckland communities uh, take that idea up and, uh, and include that as a part of their annual budgetary negotiation with um, the council. The Minister of Local Government, Rodney Hyde, says he's proud of the decision to have so many local boards, saying they'll allow communities to have things the way they want. The Minister says the Royal Commission had it wrong with its vision of just six local councils. He says the number was too similar to the existing councils and that it would have encouraged old regional loyalties rather than a new, united way of thinking. We wanted to make that second tier of political decision-making as close to the community as possible. Indeed, when I started, um, I wanted to go higher than 30, but I was persuaded by um, the debate that 30 was the maximum simply because the costs of managing the 30 local boards would become too too large for the Auckland Council. But certainly if you had six, um, they would be so large if you divide six into 1.4 million people, you get the picture of a large council rather than a local board. It's the local government commission that will decide the final number of boards and where their boundaries will lie. Otahahu here is on the current border between Auckland City and Monaco City. It's always been a tricky proposition because it's geographically in Auckland City but culturally in South Auckland. The number of boards, 20 to 30, is flexible. That's so the Commission can weigh up where the boundaries naturally lie and not feel it has to squeeze the region into a number that doesn't quite fit. The Commission's chair, Sue Piper, uses the term communities of interest to describe how the various parts of Auckland will be divided. If I live in Otara, my first place is my street, then there's the suburb of Otara, and then I probably shop in Papatoetoe, or maybe I go down to Manukau City. So then my next sort of community of interest is southern Auckland, and then my next community of interest, of course, is the greater Auckland area. So it kind of, you know, it's a series of building blocks that we pull together as we see and as local people tell us how it is. Smaller communities of interest will be put together with similar groups until they get to the right size for a ward. Natural geographic features or main arterial roads may form borders, but things like where people shop, where they go to school and where they work will also help decide who gets grouped with whom. Sue Piper says not everything fits together easily. There are pinch, what I call pinch points. I mean, for example, there's been a debate in Auckland for many, many years about whether Otahahu is part of the southern part of that of the bigger Auckland city, or whether it's part of um, the isthmus. The um, you know whether it relates to the north or whether it relates to the south. That's one that's been 
lots of debate and argy-bargy about for years. She says a degree of snobbery is inevitable with some communities not wanting to be aligned with others. But she says even that is a legitimate consideration because it's about bringing areas together that want to be together. Next year, when one council encompasses everything from rural farmers to Remuera financiers, Sue Piper believes the local boards will become increasingly important as the way Aucklanders assert their regional identities. Despite that, there are still concerns about whether all Aucklanders will be represented on the new council. Public policy expert Grant Hewison argues that the government got it wrong when it opted to use first-past-the-post as the way of electing the council and mayor. Auckland is a very diverse city, ethnically diverse in terms of wealth, uh, diverse in terms of just the size and geographic spread. It's critical, in my view, that we have a mayor and council, particularly at the regional level, but also at the local board level, which recognises or or represents that diversity. And if we don't have that, then I think it's going to detract yet again from uh, people's involvement and and willingness to uh, participate in not only elections but in local government. So it's critical, really, that we have a diverse council at the end of this process. Unfortunately, I don't think first-past-the-post is going to deliver that for us. Dr Hewison believes a system that revealed preferred candidates like STV or a proportional system like MMP would have been better. He says that would have ensured a greater mix and would create a better chance of a mayor being elected who most Aucklanders are happy with. The current Auckland City Mayor, John Banks, thinks the government got it right but says if the power was in his hands, he may be persuaded otherwise. Well, I'm always a great believer in first past the post, may the best man or woman win in a fair, unfettered race. Uh, But if you're talking about gerrymandering the political system uh, to scratch every itch that walks past the town hall, then that proposition is flawed, always has been. But if that's what people want on the go forward, well, we'll consider it. And his rival, Monaco Mayor Len Brown, also supports first-past-the-post. Mr Brown says ward-based elections should take care of diversity, with populations like Mangare, Manurewa or Otara more likely to elect a Māori or Pacific Island councillor because that's who's likely to stand there. He says it's more important to keep it simple for Aucklanders voting in the first supercity election. They're confused enough as it is, and unsure and wary. And so the last thing they need is to be confused further by the voting process and by machinations that might come out of this. Now, for the democratic purists, STV is quite a good model. But for those in the community who you know, aren't overly versed in the beauty of democracy and, uh, and of voting systems, they just want to get in there and tick the person that they want to win. Rodney Hyde stands by the government's decision and also says first-past-the-post is the best option for Aucklanders already facing a whole new voting landscape. But he agrees that STV may be the better system to get the mayor most people want. Also, too, with STV, um, you'd have the advantage, particularly if you had councillors at large, you'd get a more representative council, potentially, um, than first-past-the-post delivers. But like I said, we felt we were putting enough change uh, on Auckland And I think, too, that you notice with voters that uh, they're pretty sensible and around the world they'll have uh, races for mayor where they'll have a lot of candidates, but it quickly resolves down to two or three front runners because people realise that there's only going to be a choice of two or three given that it's first past the post.
But it's not just how the mayor's elected that's under scrutiny. The details of the job he or she will do are too. The government, and indeed the Royal Commission, passed over the proponents of an executive mayor, someone like the Mayor of London who can override the council on key decisions. It's instead beefed up the role of the mayor by allowing them to appoint their deputy and committee chairs and to propose budgets and other policies. Fans of the executive mayor idea, like academic Andy Asquith, say the government's missed an opportunity. Their ability to appoint committee chairs um, hardly constitutes beefing up. A lot of attention was paid to the Mayor of London. That would be an excellent model to follow, where the Mayor does have real power. At the moment, the model that we will have in Auckland is essentially the existing model. Um, So, in effect, you're replacing the existing seven Muppets by one. Would-be Super City Mayor John Banks says he doesn't want any more power than is being offered by the government. It could well be. Uh, that a centre-right mayor ends up leading a centre-left city in terms of make-up on the council. Therein lies the challenge, and it's going to take a lot of convincing, a lot of embracing, and a lot of understanding to make it work. Local Government Minister Rodney Hyde, who's visited super cities London and Toronto for inspiration, says an executive mayor would take away too much power from the people. He says the solution to a philosophical clash between a mayor and the council is simple. That any mayor worth the assault um, would would get the council on board and they'd need to get the council on board. And bear in mind, uh, the mayor is the one person that's going to be elected at large. And and I was still concerned about it, that's why I went to London, but I came away convinced we had it right. But John Banks's rival, Len Brown, thinks there's little to worry about. Uh, I think that the community will go for uh, a leader and basically the support base of that leader. It's a different kind of power that's worrying legal expert Grant Hewison. The new council will have a huge monopoly on services like waste disposal and water. Even though Auckland ratepayers currently have no choice who to buy their water from, they can make comparisons with the council next door. Dr Hewison says with plans to have water and transport set up as separate companies at arm's length from the council, it's important to have checks and balances in place. I think it's appropriate to look hard at the idea of an Auckland Services Performance Auditor um, for that role to be established quite soon to see us through the transition but also to um, give people an opportunity, if you like, to raise concerns with an independent agency that's able to have the powers of investigation and review. But Rodney Hyde is satisfied that the council itself will provide enough of a balance. They're council-controlled organisations, and so, if you like, um, the business part of what they're running, they get on and do the business, and then you get the advantage of a proper transparency where they're focused on getting the job done, but there's no doubt that they're owned by the council, and the council sets a strategy. Andy Asquith, the super city advocate turned nervous observer, says the worst case scenario is that the new super city plan doesn't fix Auckland. He fears the region will stay tangled up in bureaucracy and parochialism and it will be so inefficient it may as well be run from Wellington. And he says if that happens, the rest of the country beware. This is one of, of my personal bugbears that the, the sheep farmers on Invercargill complain about Auckland, but they don't realise that if Auckland wasn't here, then New Zealand would be a third world banana republic. So if Auckland doesn't work, New Zealand doesn't work. 
Rodney Hyde says it's not on his agenda to extend the idea of supercities to Wellington, Christchurch or anywhere else around the country, but he acknowledges that Auckland's success or failure could determine whether anyone else wants to take up the chance. Unlike Mark Ford, the man given the huge task of bringing the councils together, Rodney Hyde says the supercity doesn't keep him awake at night. For me, I find it a fabulous opportunity and a privilege to be the one person in the country that can actually do something about Auckland and fix it finally. And so I put in a a good hard day, a long day, giving it my utmost um, so that we can get the very best result. And by the time I've done that for a day, um, I'm pretty plonked out. And so uh, I sleep uh, very, very well and then get up and go hard the next day. Poacher-turned-gamekeeper Len Brown, who opposed the Super City but now wants to be its mayor, says the first term will be crucial. The importance of the leader of this council and we who are out campaigning, really reaching out into the communities, talking a lot because people still don't understand, why are we doing this? So a lot of discussion, a lot of talk, a lot of listening to bring the community into what is the hope and the potential of this rather than have them have a sense of hopelessness. The final piece of legislation on the super city is due to be revealed this month and is expected to be passed by April. That's just in time for would-be super mayors and councillors to fire up their campaigns for the October elections. And despite plenty of details still to be worked out, in a year's time the super city will have to be up and running. That programme was written and presented by Rowan Quinn. It was produced by Sue Ingram.